0: The EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the Church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to a new edition of Vatican Insider, as we end the first full week of work at the Synod on Synodality in the Vatican. I've been posting daily updates on the Synod, on Jones Rome, and the Vatican News website has been offering some of the speeches given by participants in the Synod. I'll look at the Synod in the interview segment, where my guest this week and next is Father Gerald Murray, pastor at Holy Family Church in New York, prolific writer, and noted canon lawyer. He was in Rome to give a talk on the Synod and to cover it as well. He speaks of the serious concerns he has about the Synod process, especially from the point of view of canon law, and the working document that guides how the Synod unrolls. We look at what is being described as, quote, the new Synodal Church. So stay tuned for that after the news segment, and now a look at those highlights of the week. Sunday, October 8th. Please stop the attacks and the weapons, and understand that terrorism and war do not lead to any solution, but only to the death and suffering of so many innocent people. War is always a defeat. Every war is a defeat. Speaking after the angel's prayer on Sunday, the Holy Father said he's following with apprehension and sorrow the latest news from Israel, where violence has erupted even more ferociously, causing hundreds of deaths and injuries. He expressed his sympathy to the families of victims, praying for them all and for all those who are experiencing hours of terror and anguish. The Pope invited everyone to pray for peace in Israel and Palestine. Fresh violence erupted unexpectedly in the Holy Land last Saturday when Palestinian Hamas terrorists launched a surprise attack on Israel, firing hundreds of rockets and making armed incursions into Israel. Israel immediately launched retaliatory airstrikes, and the nation's prime minister said the country is at war. The Holy Father at the Angelus also asked for prayers for the Synod and for embattled Ukraine. Monday, October 9th, Cardinal Beshara Butros Rai, Maronite Patriarch of Antioch, delivered the homily that morning at daily Mass in St. Peter's Basilica. He urged Christians to imbibe a synodal way of living to confront the many issues that face our world. Patriarch Youssef Absi, the Greek Melkite Patriarch of Antioch, presided over the Mass, celebrated in the Byzantine Rite at the Altar of the Chair. Tuesday, October 10th. In a telegram to current Hungarian president, Katalin Novak, Pope Francis sent condolences to the people of Hungary following the death of Laszlo Soyon, who was president of Hungary from 2005 to 2010. He died Sunday, aged 81, after a lengthy illness. President Novak had had an audience with Pope Francis August 26th. Also Tuesday, Vatican News reported that Gaza parish priest Father Gabriele Romanelli has received two calls from Pope Francis since the beginning of the war to find out how people are doing there with the Israeli raids underway following the Hamas terrorist attacks. Pope Francis is constantly following what is happening in Gaza, reaching out to the small Christian community by phone, said Father Romanelli. He is currently in Bethlehem and in constant contact with the faithful of his parish. He said when the Pope called him, he expressed his closeness and offered his prayers. Father thanked the Pope for his call for a ceasefire and a stop to all violence, all terrorism, and all war. The Pope, he said, wanted to show his closeness and said he was going to call the community directly with my vicar, helping people who are refugees in the parish. Wednesday, October 11th. After the General Audience Catechesis on St. Josephine Bakhita, Pope Francis stated, I continue to follow what is happening in Israel and Palestine with tears and apprehension. Many people killed, others injured. I pray for those families who have seen a feast day transformed into a day of mourning, and I ask that the hostages be released immediately. It is the right, said Francis, of those who are attacked to defend themselves— but I am very concerned about the total siege under which the Palestinians are living in Gaza, where there have also been many innocent victims. Terrorism and extremism do not help reach a solution to the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians, but rather fuel hatred, violence, revenge, and only cause everyone to suffer. The Middle East does not need war, but peace, a peace built on dialogue and the courage of fraternity. Also Wednesday at the General Audience, Pope Francis appealed for international solidarity to aid the people of Afghanistan following a recent devastating earthquake. He expressed concern for the Afghan people, highlighting the immense human toll that these natural disasters have exacted, with thousands of lives lost, including a significant number of women and children. He also acknowledged the plight of displaced persons, who have been left in the wake of this calamity. Thursday, October 12th. The Senate General Assembly dedicated Thursday morning's prayer to praying for peace, especially in the Holy Land. The day's opening prayer was introduced by Iraqi Cardinal Luis Rafael Sacco, Patriarch of the Chaldean Catholic Church, who prayed for all those suffering from war across the world and living in fear. I want to invite you this morning to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Holy Land, but also in Ukraine, and the violence in Iraq, Iran, and Lebanon. People are waiting with much hope, he said, to live in dignity and fraternity, but not always in fear and concern. The Cardinal called for prayer, fraternity, and solidarity with all those who suffer. Also Thursday, October 12th marks a special holiday in Brazil as the church there celebrates the Feast of Our Lady of Aparecida, the nation's patron saint. To mark the occasion, Pope Francis took a break from the ongoing synod to pray for the people of Brazil. On the Feast of Our Lady of Aparecida, I carry her in my heart. I fondly recall this city and the Virgin, he said. In a video message recorded in the Paul VI Hall, the Pope said, May God bless us, and may she watch over you and all the people of Brazil. I pray for you and send my blessings, and please pray for me. Friday, October 13th. A Vatican press office communique Friday morning reported that Pope Francis's appointments include being present at the Synod's morning general congregation and in the afternoon circoli minoris, the small language group. However, the Vatican did reveal a letter by the Pope marking 200 years since the death of Pope Pius VII, wherein he praised his predecessor for the great wisdom he displayed in his struggle with the Emperor Napoleon. In fact, Pope Pius VII sought to dialogue with the French emperor, who had already imprisoned his predecessor, signing a concordat with him in 1801. Only after Napoleon invaded the Papal States did he retaliate by excommunicating him. The emperor then took Pope Pius prisoner and transported him to France, where he was freed five years later after Napoleon's military defeats. Well, those are the highlights of the past week. But now stay here for a riveting and very informative conversation with Father Gerald Murray, a canon lawyer, who addresses concerns about the ongoing Synod on Synodality. <laughs> Hi, this is Mike Aquilino with a few words about St. Irenaeus. It's only recently that Pope Francis has declared him to be a doctor of the church. And this is unusual because he's been dead for many centuries, almost two millennia. But I think he's a man for our time because he's teaching us to think, to have an educated faith, to know the reasons for what we believe, and then present those to a skeptical world. EWTN Radio posts 11 podcasts every weekday and over 60 per week. They're the perfect companion for busy Catholics everywhere. With on-demand access to audio, you can pause and pick up right where you left off anytime, anywhere. And they're all free. Subscribe by going to EWTNradio.net. Then click on podcasts. They're waiting for you. EWTN is the global Catholic network.
1: I'm Doug Keck. This is an EWTN Bookmark Brief, speaking with the one and only Raymond Arroyo about something very new and special, his Christmas CD, Merry and Bright. So, Raymond, what prompted this?
0: Well, you know, this came as a result of our viewers over many years seeing the Christmas special on The World Over and asking me, do you want to do a CD? Please do a CD. Well, I finally did a CD. It's Christmas Merry and Bright, 20 pieces, Doug. We did original arrangements of some classic, beautiful Christmas hymns, carols, as well as some contemporary classics. Mm -hmm. The album's a lot of fun for families and I think for anybody on a long car ride. It is a blast. Okay, well, thanks. Raymond Arroyo, his
1: Christmas Merry Merry and Bright CD. Of course, Eternal Music, available through the Eternal Word. Uh, Religious catalog, of course. EWTNRC.com for all things Catholic. I'm Doug Keck. Thanks for stopping by. Hope to see you next time.
0: Prayer changes everything. We read in sacred scripture that when we come to God in prayer, he changes our lot. It isn't so much that the circumstances change, it is that we change and therefore we see the circumstances differently. Prayer does everything for us. It is indeed the air that fills our soul just as the oxygen fills our lungs. We can't do without prayer. To do without prayer means we languish and we die. God wants us to have life and to have it to the full. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider and another interview segment and my guest this week is a longtime friend, Father Gerald Murray. He's been in Rome to give a talk on and to follow the current synod on synodality. Now, Father Jerry's pastor of Holy Family Church in New York near the United Nations, a noted canon lawyer and the author of many books and articles. He's also known to many of our listeners and viewers and readers as part of the team known as the Papal Posse. That is with Robert Royal and Raymond Arroyo, and that's on EWTN on Thursdays. So welcome to Vatican Insider.
1: Joan, it's great to be with you. I haven't been in Rome in four years, so it's great to see you again and to be part of your program today.
0: Well, the city has certainly given you uh, very good weather. It's given you good food and food for thought with the Synod now father you spoke on october 3rd this is where we first saw each other on this trip at the guillaume theater near the vatican and joining cardinal raymond burke and professor stefano fontana at a conference entitled the synod of babel and using the word babel in its sense of meaning confusion and you stated in your introduction that you had serious concerns about the synodal assembly and you said you would discuss the changes to the nature of the Synod of Bishops made by Pope Francis and then examine the instrument, Instrumentum Laborum, the working document that every Synod that has ever taken place has. So um, you really begin by looking at this as a canon lawyer, and so let's look at the origin of the Synod of Bishops and then look at how it has been changed.
1: Yes, well the Synod of Bishops is a, Gathering of bishops, it was referred to in Vatican II, and Pope Paul VI implemented that uh, back in 1965, and it's a gathering of bishops who represent the overall episcopate throughout the world. So not all the bishops of the world come to Rome, but selected bishops. They're elected by their national bishops' conferences throughout the world. The pope then has members of the Roman Curia uh, as part of the synod, and then others that the pope wants to invite. So the Synod has been meeting all these years. You may remember there was a Synod on Evangelization, a Synod on Catechesis, Synod on the Family under John Paul II in 1980, many different synodal assemblies, but there were always bishops meeting with the Pope as an exercise of the hierarchy. Now there were a few exceptions because superiors of religious orders or members of religious orders were also elected, but they had to be ordained clerics. So that was related. The priesthood and the episcopate are very close when it comes sure. to uh, the meaning of governance and teaching. So all of that was historically uh, very valuable because good documents came out. Typically, a synod, the fa- synod fathers would vote on propositions, they'd send their recommendation to the Pope, and he would issue what's called a post synodal apostolic exhortation. Now, all that changed this year because Pope Francis, as part of his Uh, synodality and uh, walking together spirit has said that lay people should also be part of the synod. Now I should point out lay people have always been part of the synod as you know because experts and auditors auditors like an auditor in a college class sure uh it's someone who's in the class and learns everything but doesn't get a grade or is not paying for this class Well, you could have
0: a, a theologian or an expert in the topic being discussed at the synod who would easily be a layperson, man or yep, woman
1: absolutely and,
0: and with every right in fact it would be necessary to have an expert there
1: yes and they, this is you know the synod on the family there were various experts synod on catechesis Lay people do most of the catechesis in the Catholic Church throughout the world. So lay people were always present at synods, but not voting, because the vote is an act of teaching and governance. It's a way the bishops assist the Pope in his overall governance. Um, So Pope Francis decided to know the lay people would have a vote, uh, and he then decreed that there would be 70 lay people who were chosen from throughout the world. The bishops' conferences would send in two names, and then he picked one, so there's a total of 140 proposed, 70 picked. He also selected some women religious, some male religious, there's a permanent deacon, and then even priests were, are part of this synod now. So I object to that because it changes the nature of the synod. If a synod is supposed to be bishops exercising their hierarchical function, having other people who aren't bishops there changes the nature. And by analogy, I say if the College of Cardinals met to elect a new pope, and suddenly, non cardinals were in there voting. Everyone said something's wrong here.
0: Yeah, well, so basically, if you look at the um, origin, it was all about bishops and collegiality, but with Pope Francis opening it up so much, it's become just what he's called it on um, synodality. And as a matter of fact, every single person I have talked to, I'm t- people who cover the Vatican priests, bishops, and cardinals in the last two years. I have asked each one to define synodality, Hmm. and I have gotten different definitions. So even that's a bit uh, hard to understand, but there's specific canons in canon law. Um, So 342, which you've basically Mm -hmm. been summarizing, right? Yep, exactly. This summarizes the nature of the synod. And then um, 346, paragraph 1, this is the code of canon law, folks, that we're talking about, is clear uh, on who makes up the membership, of this ecclesial institution.
1: That's exactly right, and those canons were never uh, uh, abolished or altered. So this is one of the strange things in the pontificate. The Pope takes actions, but then doesn't lay the legal groundwork to make sure that they are those actions are then properly uh, defined in law. Yeah. So that's a problem, but... Um, the Synod is going on, and um, aside from the structural and organizational, there are some other concerns.
0: Oh, sure there are. But, you know, you um, noted that the press office of the General Secretariat of the Synod, um, talking about the nature of the Synod, mm. does not possess the canonical authority to derogate from um, from either the canons of the Code of Canon Law or from the Apostolic Constitution Episcopalis communio, that's from uh, 2018. That, that's by uh, Pope, Pope, that's Pope Francis, Francis issued that, right, yes. Exactly. And
1: the title of that means Episcopal Communion. Yes. So, in other words, the description of the Synod, it's a communion of bishops.
0: Well, um, I mean, you'd, you'd have to change the name at a certain point. Well, that's to, it. To just an ecclesial gathering of uh, faithful Catholics or whatever name, but mm. it, Synod of Bishops, the key word there is bishops.
1: Yeah, so. and that's, um, you know, my point about the press office is that, again, the law wasn't changed by the issuance of a decree. We simply read in the press release, the Pope has authorized laypeople, but there's no decree to that effect. So if you don't have canon law, then there's no certainty about what's going on, and people can't anticipate, well, how does this affect other parts of the law?
0: Well, the, I mean, I just have to ask the question, where are the canon lawyers? The canon lawyers in Rome, I'm guessing that the office of the Synod of Bishops, and by the way, the Pope did sit in on a number of the early meetings Mm -hmm. at the Synod office. He didn't have them come to his residence. He went to their office as they were looking at the agenda, who to invite, so many other things. But um, the Synod of Bishops must have its own canon lawyers. Are they inactive?
1: Well, this is a question I've had overall, because the Pope has done a number of things that change canon law, uh, and, you know, for instance, when he issued the new document on the Roman Curia, he made some changes uh, to who could be part of uh, certain offices in the Roman Curia, but he hasn't changed the canons, which exist in the Code of Canon Law, which regulate that. So, I guess we can say um, he takes action first, and then we'll do the written part later.
0: In fact, we really haven't heard in the last couple of years on this and on other matters where like you said the changes have been made but not in canon law. We really haven't heard like from the office of legislative texts in the in the Vatican or the experts who would be looking at canon law. Well, hasn't the pope though in the last few years didn't he change single-handedly like overnight just a couple of the canons?
1: Yeah, he revised the uh, penalty section of the Code of Canon Law. Now, that right. was done with the uh, code, uh, The, the, the uh, now it's called the dicastery, uh, yeah. for the interpretation of the code. Yeah, so he has made changes in Canon Law, and other things have been, he's changed some rules uh, in the past. A bishop could start his own diocesan congregation of religious, now, and then you simply had to consult the Vatican, now the Vatican has to give permission to the local bishop. So right. that code, that canon was changed. So. It's kind of a mixed bag as regards canonical consistency.
0: Now, regarding, going back to what you mentioned a minute ago, the um, non-bishops being able to vote, and by the way, this is a deliberative body, this, yes. uh, a body that would give counsel, etc., to the Holy Father. It's not a body that no matter what it says or comes out in writing, that this is a definitive part of the moral teaching of the, of the Catholic mm. Church. But um, so, if the vote now goes to so many of the lay people, too, men and women, is this more or less um, the the sheep in place of the shepherds? I saw that as the title of the article in uh, the magazine which w- uh, promoted last week's. Uh, interventions with yourself and I mean is it the uh, sheep coming up and ruling or uh, the bishops have to listen to them what's the deal
1: that's uh in part you could say uh, you know the shepherds are the one who guide the flock but now if you have lay people voting with the shepherds in the synod then the lay people assume the role of a shepherd and that's that's kind of inconsistent. you can't be a sheep and a shepherd at the same time Uh, And then we get the other question is because some of the synod proposals in the working document, the instrument and laboris, talk about synodal style where bishops have to consult and in a certain certain sense maybe get approval from lay people before taking steps. So that's a worrying uh, aspect of this whole thing.
0: Oh, sure. And then you wrote about... The working document, the Instrumentum Laboris, we we will turn to that now because more or less we've been looking at the canon law side of things and where there's a lot of questions that have to come to mind Mm. of a good canon lawyer. Now, on the working document, you you called it an emotion centered, the emotion centered focus is the template for the hoped for soft revolution in the church in which Catholic doctrines that contradict decadent western sexual mores and radical feminist claims of oppression in the church these are framed as obsolete regrettable and needless sources of discord and alienation as holdovers from a cruel past a past These doctrines, of course, need to be jettisoned lest anyone feel uh, unwelcome. It just seems like the church is being so careful of language. Oh gosh, let's not offend anyone. Let's not hurt their feelings. But what it boils down to is let's not teach the teaching of the church. Uh, I mean, we're talking about, uh, our listeners know, if they have been reading or mm-hmm. listening to anyone talking about the Synod, the hot-button issues of uh, blessings for same-sex union, right. women as priests, yes. communion for divorced divorce and, and remarried. remarried. The yep. Church doesn't recognize divorce. So what do we do about these teachings?
1: Well, this is the whole uh, area of concern that I have with the, what's going on at the actual Synod, because the working document basically takes the point of view that there are a lot of aggrieved or unhappy people out yeah. there uh, in the church. And the reason they're aggrieved and unhappy is because they don't think they're being listened to or appreciated. And uh, what, what, what is the subject of that lack of appreciation? That the church doesn't agree with what they're saying. And there's a reason the church doesn't agree with what they're saying, because what some of them, what they're saying is contradicting Church teaching, exactly. which is definitive. It goes back to Christ. It's part of the natural law. It's part of revelation. So, the the I say it's an emotion center because the the starting point they when, want
0: to make people feel good. Well, that's yes. it. Feel good yeah. and
1: affirmed and 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 appreciated. Meaning, uh, if you appreciate someone. You don't walk up to them and criticize them. That's the kind of critique. Say, why are you criticizing me? You're supposed to be affirming me. Yeah. Religion is not a therapy session to make you emotionally stable. Uh, emotional stability comes when you follow God's law and pray and love your neighbor and are charitable. Not when you get your way. Because sometimes we, when you get our way, we get something that's bad.
0: Well, we wouldn't need confession any longer. Not I mean, really, if all, yeah. If all of a sudden there <laughs> were teachings... Um, that the church said that this is sinful. we we'll just look at the Ten Commandments and then other teachings coming from the commandments or certainly the, the Bible. Um, if all of a sudden everything is relevant, what, what it seems to me, and I've said this to a number of bishops who asked if they could quote me, I said, you know, it looks as if the, if you go into the secular world, it's the media, it's various groups out there that want to conform us, the Catholic mm-hmm. Church, to their image and likeness whereas we know in whose image and likeness we are created and who we are following yes. so uh, we can't just get rid of of teaching of the church we can't get rid of what we've known for two millennia is sinful
1: i agree and this is this but this is the conflict in the church now the perfect example is the german synodal way they had sure. their own process and they came out with a document calling for ordination of women, blessing of same-sex unions, changing the church's teaching. They want lay people to elect bishops. And they also want lay people to have the right to fire them. I mean, this is basically following the path of the Protestant Reformation, which is sure. some pe- some people in the church say, we're not happy with the teaching, we want to change it, and we're going to create you know a new reality. And then the church comes back and says, no, Christ is the new reality. We follow him and the church. Remember, the church... Christ said to the apostles, he who hears you hears me, and that continues to our day.
0: Well, that's all the time Father Jerry and I have this week, but be sure to come back next weekend when we continue our look at the Synod on Synodality and the serious concerns that Father has for the Synod process and the working document that guides how the Synod unrolls. We look at what's being described as the new Synodal Church. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.